The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I believe it's page 961 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if you did not bring your own. This evening I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. So we continue in our series, Preaching Through the Apostles' Creed. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. This is the Word of God. It's a precious gift. And it is the truth. May we receive it as such this evening. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the word of God for the people of God this evening. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing truths that you have revealed to us. Thank you for your son and your spirit. May your spirit do his work in our hearts and lives this evening to magnify the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. And may we bow before you in repentance and faith and wonder and awe that Jesus is alive. In his name we pray, amen. The third day he rose again from the dead. This is the line we've come to now in this series. And this is, if you're here Sunday morning, nearly every Sunday morning as we confess the creed, we say those words. The third day he rose again from the dead. Well, as we, as we look at that tonight, I want us to look at and consider three different questions to help us examine that statement and this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. And the three questions are this. Why do we believe this? What makes it so important? And what does it mean to believe this? So first of all, why do we believe this? Why do we believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? Are we crazy to believe that? I mean, it's it's not something that we see every day, right? Right? I've never seen it happen before. Have you ever seen it happen? It's not something we ever see happen. So are we, are we crazy to believe that someone could actually die, be buried, and then three days later rise again from the dead? Well, we don't think we're crazy. Sunday morning when we confess it, it easily flows out of our lips when we're in this building surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. But what about 
during the rest of the week. Maybe at work, talking with a coworker, or you're a student on the ball field and, and talking to a teammate, or in school, talking to a classmate, or, or talking to a neighbor, or maybe at a family gathering. How easy does it come out of your mouth in those cases? But why, why do we believe this, something that seems so unusual? Well, if we look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that this belief is grounded in the Scriptures, the authority of the Word of God, which Dan mentioned just a few moments ago. Verses 3 and 4, twice Paul will mention the Gospel and use the phrase, in accordance with the Scriptures. That Christ has died in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So the reason that we believe this, first and foremost, is because it's based on what the Bible says. The Word of God, the truth. You look throughout the Bible and you will see this over and over again. In the Old Testament, you will see them prophesying, predicting that this would happen. In Psalm 16, the Bible says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And then Peter, preaching in the book of Acts, references this passage. And he says that David was speaking about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. It's according to The scriptures. Jesus himself predicted his death and resurrection. On at least three separate occasions, when he was with his disciples, he told them that this would happen. Mark chapter 8 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. So you have Jesus himself recorded in the scriptures telling his disciples that he would die and rise again. Then you have the Gospels recording this historical event for us, describing it after it happened. One of them is in Matthew 28, when the women are running to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, and they're met by an angel. And the angel says, Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen As he said, come, see the place where he lay. So you have that testimony throughout the Gospels. The account of what happened, the description of what happened. And then you have the disciples, the apostles, preaching about it after it happened, all throughout the book of Acts. Peter again, preaching, says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So why do we believe this? We believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day because of the overwhelming testimony of the word of God, the scriptures. The Old Testament predicted that it would happen. Jesus told his followers it would happen. The Bible records the historical event for us, showing us that it did indeed happen. And then the disciples proclaimed and preached about it after it happened. And here we are today, some 2,000 years later, still talking about it. Why? Because it is true. It is a historical event, and it happened in accordance with the Scriptures, the Word of God. But Paul doesn't stop there. He could. He could have stopped there. That would be sufficient. We believe it because the Bible tells us about it. The Bible says it is true. 
But you know, Paul perhaps had in mind people who might say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And maybe some of you have said that at some point in your lives. So Paul gives us some further evidence. We also believe this is true because of the empirical evidence, the physical evidence. People saw Jesus alive after he had died and been buried. They saw him alive again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that then he appeared to Cephas or to Peter. So here's Peter. Peter saw Jesus. He talked to him face to face. Jesus helped Peter catch 153 fish. And then he served him breakfast. Peter and Jesus had a breakfast meeting. They ate together. Peter saw Jesus eat after Jesus had been dead. Peter saw him alive again. And you know, that had an effect on Peter. So Peter then went and preached about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was arrested for it. And the authorities took Peter and they told him, Peter, don't talk about this anymore. And what did Peter say? He said, judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you rather than God. But as for me, I cannot help speaking about what I have seen and heard. And what had he seen and heard? He had seen this man, Jesus, die, be buried, and come back to life again. No wonder he couldn't keep it in. If, that, if you saw that, you also would tell people about it. So Peter saw it, and he told people about it. Katie mentioned Thomas, doubting Thomas. Jesus appeared to the disciples, to the twelve. Thomas said, I'll believe it when I see it. He went further than that. He said, I will never believe it unless I see it. And so Jesus came to Thomas and said, Thomas, here I am. And Thomas responded by saying, my Lord and my God. He was amazed. Well, Paul saw him too. Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians 15 through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he saw him. Christ appeared to Paul with his own eyes, with his own ears. He saw the risen Christ. He heard the risen Christ. And so he told everyone he could about the risen Christ, from kings to prison officials and everyone who would listen at the risk of his own life. He saw him alive again. Paul says Jesus even appeared not just to individuals, but he, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Imagine the scene if this was to go before a judge to determine if there was enough evidence that Jesus was alive again. Imagine 500 witnesses lined up, waiting their turn to take the stand. And they get in the stand and they're asked, did you see Jesus alive after he had died? Yes, I saw this man dead, crucified, buried, alive again. Next one comes to the stand. Did you see Jesus alive? Yes, I saw this man dead, buried, alive again. 500 times. The evidence would be overwhelming. Sir Edward Clark, a lawyer, says this. As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. For me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. So what's this lawyer saying? He's saying, I have won many cases on much less evidence. Jesus is alive. So why do we believe this? First of all, the Bible, the Word of God tells us. 
that it is true. And that is sufficient. But beyond that, the eyewitness testimony of the disciples and many others confirm it. The third day, he rose again from the dead. It is true. Well, what makes it so important? Why is it such a big deal? Why is that phrase in the Apostles' Creed? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I deliver to you of first importance. He's saying that this message of the gospel, Christ's death, burial, and his resurrection is essential. It is the highest priority. You know, we, we often refer to the gospel as the good news. But not only is the gospel the best news the world has ever heard, it is also the most important news that the world will ever hear. There is nothing more important than this. Why? What makes the resurrection so important? Why is it such a big deal? Well, it might help if we ask the question, what if Jesus did not rise from the dead? What if it wasn't true? What if he did not rise from the dead? And Paul actually asked that question in this passage. And as you read through it, you'll see he mentions at least three things that would be true if Christ did not rise from the dead. First of all, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then every church should close its doors. We are wasting our time. In verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, preaching is useless. The good news would be bad news. There would be no gospel to proclaim. There would be no, nothing worth preaching. And this is coming from Paul, whose entire life was now about preaching. It's what he devoted his life to. It's what he was passionate about. It's what he aimed to do at every opportunity. If you, look, if you read through Philippians, you'll see in chapter 2 that Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. And then other people who didn't like Paul started preaching. Why? Not because they loved Christ and wanted to make him known. Because they hated Paul. And they wanted to make things worse for Paul. And what was Paul's response? He said, it doesn't matter to me. All I care about is that Christ is proclaimed. But now you have Paul saying, if Christ is not raised, it's worthless. Shut the doors of the church. Stop preaching. Preaching is useless. We're wasting our time. We shouldn't be here. We could all go home. If Christ has not been raised, every church should shut its doors. Well, secondly, we see that if Christ has not been raised, then every Christian should give up their faith. Verse 14, verse 17, both talk about if Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain or your faith is futile, empty, fruitless, void, having no effect, having no purpose, useless, because a dead Savior could not give Life, if there is no resurrection, then the hall of fame of faith of Hebrews chapter 11 that we are so familiar with becomes the hall of fame of the foolish. All those names listed in Hebrews chapter 11, they would have been faithful for nothing. They would have been mocked, scourged, imprisoned, stoned, afflicted, ill-treated, put to death completely in vain. All believers of all ages would have believed for nothing, lived for nothing, died for nothing if Christ had not been raised. We have families in our church whose children have followed their faith in Christ across the world to spread the gospel. Keith and Becky Irvin have two children, Matt in London, daughter Charity in Spain. 
who have taken their young families across the world because of their faith in Christ. If Christ has not been raised, they're wasting their time. They should come back home to their families. Stephen and Linda Gentino, they have a, a young son, David, who came to know Christ, moved down to South Carolina to study more about Christ, met a young lady, got married, have two young children, moved across the world. Why? To tell people who've never heard the gospel about Jesus. If he is not raised, they're wasting their time. They should come home and be with their family. Just last Saturday, Eric Olenek came and spoke at the men's stakeout and told about how his faith in Christ is transforming his life. He used to live in New York City and be a businessman, and all he cared about was money, 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 and himself, earning as much money as he could. But when he came to know Christ, his life was transformed, and now he's trying to honor Christ even in his business, changing the way he does business as a testimony to Christ. If Christ has not been raised, then Eric is wasting his time. Move back to New York City and go after the money, Eric. All of you here tonight... Every member of this church, everything you do to cultivate, cultivate faith in your own lives, in the lives of your children and your grandchildren, a waste of time if Christ is in the grave. So it comes down to this one event. If it didn't happen just as Jesus said it would, then we have no reason to believe that the way of life that Christ brought was any better or more right than any other religion. We might as well be Buddhists or Muslims or Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. If Jesus is in the grave, there would be nothing earth-shaking about Jesus of Nazareth. He would simply be another religious fraud. Why is this so important? You're beginning to see, aren't you? Well, a third reason, Paul says, if Jesus has not been raised, then every person is under condemnation, still in their sins, and there is no salvation. He says in verses 17 and 18, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ did not live past the grave, there is no hope that we will. If Jesus did not rise, then he is not the Messiah, and he did not save us from our sins. All former believers would have died in their sins. They would be eternally perished. There would be no hope. No hope for them. No hope for us. Not only will we not see them again, but we will also die in our sins. We will be eternally separated from God. We will receive the just judgment for our sins, for the wrongs that we have done. We will not be forgiven if Christ did not rise. If the dead do not rise, Christ did not rise, we will not rise. It's all very dark and depressing and hopeless. And you see why it is so important. But we read verse 20. We don't want to stop there, do we? We read verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen? So, we will not shut the doors of this church. We will not stop preaching. We will not give up our faith. Eric, keep doing what you're doing, brother. And we will not be left in our sins. So our third question. What does it mean to believe this? What does it mean to believe that the third day he rose again from the dead? What makes this 
such good news? What makes this the most important news anyone could ever hear? You know, I'm not sure that we in the church give enough thought to what this means. We, we confess it almost every Sunday morning, but do we stop and think about what this means? The fact that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive changes everything. Instead of hopelessness and futility, there is real cause for great assurance and hope and meaning. When we say the third day he rose again from the dead, we're saying that we believe, first of all, our sins are forgiven and we have God's favor. Our sins are forgiven and we have God's approval. You know, we are all guilty of sin and in need of forgiveness. And it is much worse than we realize. Much worse. John Piper gives this definition for sin. What is sin? The glory of God not honored. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not prized. The person of God not loved. That is sin. And we are all guilty of that, infinitely guilty before an infinitely holy God. What the Bible says that we deserve for sin is death, eternal separation from God, the just punishment for our rebellion. And yet, the Bible, God's word, speaks of forgiveness. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. First John says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Could it be true? Can we have forgiveness? And if so, how? Only if someone took our punishment in our place. That's the only way. And that's what the cross was all about. Christ bearing our sins in his body on the tree, becoming a curse for us, the one who knew no sin, being made sin for our sake. But how do we know it worked? How do we know it was effective? How do we know that God accepted it? You know, we could ask the question, would our sins be forgiven if Jesus had lived a perfect life and died on the cross but not been raised? And the answer is, no, they would not. If Jesus is not raised, it shows that our salvation has not been accomplished. Without the resurrection, nothing would be conquered. Not sin, not death, not the devil. But Jesus has overcome. The grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. He is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. And since he is raised, this proves 
that divine justice has been satisfied. The punishment is over. The merit of Christ is proven worthy. The debt has been paid. Death has been vanquished. Sin has been atoned for. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you, you're at the cashier or at the gas station or what, and you, you swipe your credit card, and, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And you're wondering, is it going to go through? I don't have any cash with me. Is it going to work? And then you see the sign, accepted or paid, paid in full. That's, that's what happened when Jesus was in the grave. And he rose again. His punishment was accepted by God the Father. See, Jesus' resurrection testifies not only that he is the unique divine son of God, but also that his death on the cross was an acceptable sacrifice to God. Paul tells us this in another book he wrote, the book of Romans chapter 4. He says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, when God the Father raised Christ from the dead... It was a demonstration that he accepted Christ's suffering and death as full payment for sin. That the Father's favor, the Father's favor, no longer his wrath against sin, but his favor was directed toward Christ and through Christ toward all those who would believe, who are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. That is, God's favor is now directed towards us. No longer his wrath but his favor. And we know this is true because the punishment for sin is death. But Jesus is no longer dead. He was raised to life. Because Jesus lives, through our union with him, listen to this, God loves us, his adopted children, just as he loves his own beloved son, Jesus Christ. He looks on us with the same loving approval and favor as he does for his perfectly holy son who always did what pleased him. Brothers and sisters, that is amazing. And that is wonderful news. The empty tomb, Jesus alive, walking around, appearing to people all over the place, breathing, eating, talking. This is God's joyous, loving, loud pronouncement. Your sins are forgiven. I am no longer angry with you. All my wrath against your sin has been poured out on my own son, Jesus. There is none left for you. You are now assured of my approval. You are a well-loved son and daughter, completely forgiven. There is now no condemnation, none at all for those who are in my son, Jesus Christ. My son has won sin and death. And the devil have been defeated. By dying and rising for us, Jesus has closed the deal. And God has signed for it. And his signature is the resurrection. Beloved, the third day he rose again from the dead means that your sins are forgiven. And you have God's eternal full approval. Thank you, Jesus. But it also means that our resurrection is coming. We too will rise. See, that's really the whole argument Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 15. 
that there is indeed a resurrection of the dead. If there was not, then not even Christ has been raised. But since Christ indeed has been raised, we can know for sure that all all those who belong to Christ, all those who repent and put their trust in Christ, will also be raised. That's the argument Paul's making in this chapter. You can read it in detail. Verses 20 through 23, he talks about Jesus and his resurrection being the first fruits of the resurrection. That word, the first fruits, it's talking about the initial part of the harvest that indicates that there is more to come. You know, here in Lancaster County, there are stands all over the place. Not right now, but in a couple months and in the summer months. I don't know if you've ever stopped at one of those stands and gotten some of the first corn of the season. And it tastes so good. And you know it's going to be a good year. You've had some of the first fruits, the first sample that indicates the nature and the quality of the crop to come. That's what the resurrection body of Jesus is for us. It gives us a foretaste of what our own resurrection will be like. We have resurrected bodies coming. And the older you are, the louder your amen. Paul says in Philippians 3, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, what? Transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. You see, because Jesus has been raised, we also will be raised. And our resurrection bodies will never again be subject to weakness, to aging, to illness, to death, to sin. The day is coming when you will have a resurrected body. One that will no longer feel the effects of the fall. This will be a body that will allow Sandy Thomas to walk and talk again. That will allow Peggy Stoller to see again. That will allow Dave Rader to drive again. That will allow Sharon Seldomridge to play tennis again. And Steve Verall to eat again. And Anislaw Howard to rest again. And Anthony DeBruin to think and communicate. See, I'm praying, I don't, I'm praying that they, they will come. That Anthony will understand the words I say when I tell him about Jesus. And God is going to answer that prayer. Whether it's in this life or it's face to face before Jesus. He is going to get it. The day is coming. Our resurrection is coming. We will share in his resurrection. Death could not hold Jesus and it will not be able to hold us either. Thank you, Jesus. Well, third, the fact that Jesus is alive means our lives have meaning. See, for Paul, Life is either all or nothing. Either life is meaningful or it's not. There's no in-between. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no room for lukewarmness. And the only way that there can be meaning is to know that there is life beyond this life. There's something beyond this life. You see, if, if this life only ends in death, then its ultimate reality is the grave. If there is no resurrection, we have no business to believe that there is any hope, any meaning, any significance to human existence whatsoever. But if there is a resurrection, 
If Jesus is alive, it changes everything. Pastor R.C. Sproul says this, There have been many individuals throughout history who have claimed to be the leaders and founders of the only true religion. There is only one person in history whom God has vindicated with the ultimate sign of authenticity, the resurrection from the dead. And that person is Jesus. He is alive and he is God. His way is right and his word is true. And our labor in him is not in vain. That's how Paul ends this chapter. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because the resurrected Jesus has appeared in history, living for his glory and all of life is worth it. He is worthy, and living for his glory will not be in vain. So anything and everything that you do to know and follow Christ, to know him and make him known, is worth it. Anything and everything you do to glorify God in the mundane things of life is worth it. And we can thank Jesus for that. Well, finally, in closing, what does it mean to believe that the third day he rose again from the dead? It means to believe that our repentance and faith is vital. Our repentance and faith is vital if you do not admit that you are a sinner. If you do not believe that Jesus lived and died in your place and rose again, if you do not trust in his work alone, if you do not place your faith in him, you will perish. And the wrath of God will be on you for all eternity. And you will miss the joy of knowing Christ and all the benefits of his resurrection. So repent and come to the risen Christ today. Do not delay. Beloved, the third day he rose again from the dead. Do you believe that? Jesus is alive. He is risen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come to you in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And thank you for what a glorious salvation you have secured for us. May we live daily with an awareness of the risen Christ. May you fill us with your spirit that we might show to the world what a glorious God you are. And may the power of the resurrected Christ live in us and transform our lives for your glory. Thank you that the day is coming when we too will rise and be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.